Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of This Week in the Bush League, hosted by the Chief and the Champ. I'm the Chief. We are live from Cooperstown, and Cooperstown might be my favorite small town of all time. Yay, yay. Can't wait to talk about that. And I am the Champ. And three years ago on Amazon Prime Day, uh, I told Amazon that they missed uh, an opportunity to have it on November 13th of 2017. Well, what what would be the significance of November 13th? 11, 13, 17. Amazon Prime Day. Get it? No. <laughs> uh, 11, 13, 17, all prime numbers. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. I get you know it. what? Um, Bill, Bill would get that. He, he would laugh at that. Yeah, but... Tom would understand the prime numbers, but he wouldn't know what Amazon is. <laughs> Yeah, I know what Amazon is, but yeah, I didn't pick up on the prime number thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. All right. A little geeky. How's uh? T- tell me about the. Uh, tell me about Cooperstown. What's it like up there? Yeah. So they just opened up the the Hall of Fame, and uh, Christy picked up on that about two weeks ago, and and uh, we we decided to make a trip up here because I have off on Monday for something or other. Um, I took off on Friday, so we're we're on our second day. We got one more day. Um. We're going to stay today and tonight. Um, great town. It's, it's our first time here. It's beautiful. Beautiful weather. It's a beautiful town. Uh, yeah, this is this this place could be our new favorite place uh, to, to come. Yeah. So uh, we spent uh, quite a few hours yesterday in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, spent some time walking around. Ate lunch, late lunch on a place by the lake. Yeah, it's been it's been a great trip so far. Nice, nice. Hey, let's uh, let's if you don't mind, let's let's talk a little bit um, about the Hall of Fame. Um, as you know, the Bush League was there in uh, 2012, three of us, um, and the year before that, we were actually at the Negro Hall of Fame in in Kansas City in in 2000, um, 2011. Um, Cooperstown, great town. Is, is are the Leafs changing up there? They are. Uh, yeah, it it it's it was a great drive. Um, it's a little more green than we thought, but I think within the next week, everything's going to change pretty quickly. But, yeah, it's, it's a great view when we were eating lunch. Um, again, uh, someplace on the lake outside. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an awesome view of, of of the change of the leaves here. And, and, and you know, you and I were talking off air. Um, there are a lot of towns like that in, in, in New York that are just really cool. A lot of lakes up there, um, a lot of canal towns um, right off the Erie Canal. Um, that are trying to make a comeback, and um, yeah, just just really nice country um, up that way. Um, but Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. Uh, let's see, you know, first floor. Um, as I remember, you know, they have that that kind of that grand entrance, and, and then really behind it, you have to kind of move around. Is the Hall of Fame gallery? Was that, was that pretty cool? Yeah. So we started on the second floor. Actually, we we ended up okay. at the Hall of Fame gallery. We started started on the second floor. Um, I mean, just when you see the Hall of Fame, and I didn't—I've only seen it on TV, obviously. So, it's right in town. So you look. Yeah. <laughs> it—it's not this giant parking lot with, with uh, a lot of concrete around it. It's a building that's, you know, it's in town. I guess when they built it, you know, they weren't didn't foresee all these people end up coming here in this little town and. Uh, um, so the building is is picturesque, I guess you would call it. But you're right. As you walk in, um, they had a. You, you could just you could just feel that it's going to be a cool visit. Yeah, you know I mean it's 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 a cool building, and yeah, we started on the second floor, and I I was just in awe about everything I saw. I mean, it, it, we only spent about three hours there, but this is something you could go to, like we talked about before. We you go to four or five times. And maybe not sure. even see everything. So yeah, it, it, walking in, it, it was it was a cool sight. So so looking at the map, they're, they're, uh, and I'm sure they've changed out the exhibits from when I was there um, eight years ago. But there are two areas on the second floor that I wanted to talk about and get your opinion. The first was um, they have something called the locker room. What what did that entail? Right. So the locker room it had a um, a locker with um, you know every team just the highlights of the last 12 years of that organization. So, of course, I, I stopped by the Phillies. Uh, they had a the ball, a Cole Hamels with the no-hitter. Um, I think they had Jimmy Rollins' 
shoes there. Maybe maybe it wasn't there, but Rollins, uh, I think it was in 07 where he hit a triple in his last at bat against the Mets and became the first player to have 20 triples, 20-plus 20 doubles, 20-plus home runs in a season. Um, I, I think he won the MVP that year. Anyway, um, yeah, it was just highlights of the organization for the past 12 years. Uh, yeah, v- very cool. I, interesting, the Indians had Mike Clevenger's uniform. <laughs> uniform in there (laughs) yeah well when i pointed that out to christy i said they just traded this kid and she said well it it's highlights of of the past 12 years so there there are people that aren't on the on the teams any longer so yeah fair enough but it did stick out to me (laughs) i i i gotta imagine that for some teams the last 12 years has been it's going to be pretty thin in terms of some of the history they're probably stretching uh for some of the uh, uh, exhibits, yeah, I didn't stop. I didn't stop by the Marlins, <laughs> so I don't think they had mm. much going on the last twelve years. Um, but, no, but it was cool. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that. That was that was nice. Um, what about this section called? Um, let me see here. Whole new ball game. What was that about? Yeah, right. So that that probably was my favorite section on that on that level. Um, so it, it entailed like the 70s and 80s. Uh, when you walk in, uh, one of the things that stuck out to me were the uniforms. So um, they had the Oakland A. The, they had a green jersey with the uh, yellow uh, yellow sanitary socks and the and the green stirrups and the white Pumas that they would have. And, I, yeah, I just thought that was so cool because I remember as a kid, you know, they, they had a thing with uh, Mark Fidrich um, – who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but I remember as a kid with, you know, the bird with him on the sports illustrated cover with big bird. Um, yeah, yes. it, it, it brought me back to when I was probably between the ages of 10 and 15 when, when I would, you know, religiously so, watch baseball and sporting the sporting news and um, yeah. Sport magazine where I would get, I, I'd have subscriptions to all that yeah. stuff and um, yeah. the giants with the orange, orange pullover polyester shirts that that was yeah it was it was a cool exhibit so let me ask something did you ever uh wear white cleats or white spikes i did um, when you were playing i did i i, I did wear white spikes uh for a couple of years but then uh once it once i got older in high school i went back to the black i i was a puma guy i loved i okay. love pumas yeah so um i i want to say that uh, both Bill and I had uh, white Puma spikes that we colored, you know, the, the, the Puma um, insignia. We colored it with red. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, pretty slick looking, huh? <laughs> yeah, it makes you with look faster. With the big faster. throw that I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was the time, right? You know, with, with and they talked about Charlie Finley with the orange baseballs, which I think we, we've talked a little bit about here on, on the show. And, um, uh, where he allowed him to wear facial hair, which was a big deal, and white cleats, which no one wore at the time. No one wore white yeah. cleats back then. So, yeah, it was a, that was a really cool exhibit, and and um, I think they had um, Frank Robinson's manager when he was player manager with the Indians. Yeah, with that orange, <laughs> that all orange cool. uniform. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's that what bad. I remember when when you're. When you're starting to follow baseball, I remember that, you know. So yeah, that mm-hmm. that was a really cool exhibit. I, I I enjoyed that. But what about on the third floor? Um, I see something here called Sacred Grounds. Um, what was that all about? Uh, that that was about uh, stadiums, which that was really cool as well. Um, you know, it's funny how when you know when baseball started, they put stadiums in the cities, obviously, and they're really just in city blocks. So they, they either mm-hmm. were one or two city blocks. That's why a lot of them looked rectangular almost. Right. Um, and then in the seventies where it started with the uh, all purpose stadiums, the circular AstroTurf. Um, I think there was a quote and I can't remember who the quote was by, but oh, it was Richie Hebner where he said, if I went into Philly, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, um, it all seemed, Louis. yeah, St. Louis, it yeah. all seemed the same. <laughs> like it was all the same stadium. So, uh, which was, 
when you think about it, it's like, yeah, that's pretty much right. I mean, Three Rivers, um, Riverfront, and and the Vet were pretty much the same stadium. <laughs> they were just circular yeah. concrete arenas with AstroTurf on the floor. So, um, but it, I thought the coolest one, they had a replica, a miniature replica of Forbes Field where Case and I have a picture because they still have the outfield wall, the 409 sign yeah. in Pittsburgh with where the flag was in case. And I have a picture there. And of course they have the home plate at, and Shen- yeah, in the mm-hmm. Shenley building. Um, and you can kind of picture where that stadium was. And, uh, I got to tell you, if, if, if that's where the pirates played, when I went to school there, I'd have to walk by there every day. I'm not sure how much, how many classes I would have went to. If I had to walk by a stadium, <laughs> say, wait a minute, the pirates are playing this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Let me just wander in here. So, yeah, the stadiums were cool, and then it's funny how, you know, probably you could contribute it to the Orioles of everyone coming back to those inner-city, open-air, unique ballparks, right? It, it, which is funny that Baltimore was built in 92, Camden Yards, and that's old. <laughs> that's an old stadium now. Uh, hell, the, yeah. Bra- the Braves have had two Almost 30 years since old. then. <laughs> so, um yeah, it was kind of unique how uh, the stadiums came back to those smaller 45, 50,000 fan stadiums. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't realize Ebbets Field, they actually added on um, pretty significantly to their uh, outfield bleachers uh, to get more fans in there. And it really only brought it to about thirty-eight or 40,000, yeah, at its height. So. Yeah, that that was a cool. That, nice. Yeah, that was a cool nice. exhibit as well. So, so we we had kind of talked about the uh, uh, the actual hall, which is on the first floor. But I, I guess before you get into that, they actually have new inductees. And uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the new inductees were uh, uh, Derek Jeter, Ted Simmons, um, Larry Walker, and, and Marvin Miller. Yeah. Um, right. Did you, did you see that? We did. Yeah. They 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 had the new inductees before you actually went into the hall of plaques. I, I guess that's what you would refer to yeah. it as. Yeah. Um, a little disappointed that they had the short hair, Ted Simmons, large picture. I'd rather oh, see no, that. Yeah, no, I know. No, you're going to have the real long mane, right? Like I, yeah. But I, I guess, uh, I, I guess maybe, you know, they had him in a Cardinal uniform, the bigger picture of him. So I was hoping for the long hair, Ted Simmons, but um, yeah, either way, it looked good. And, uh, yeah, of course, you know, Jeter was right before you walked in. Um, and, I, yeah, Marvin Miller uh, had a not a large kind of setup, but, yeah, it, it, his was nice as well. And, and when you read his stuff, it, he's pretty significant into the way baseball is run today, yeah. 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 No doubt. What, what are some of the other things that, uh, that you know, we, I was going through just some of the sections in the Hall of Fame, but – what types of things that uh, did you see that kind of stuck out? Right. So I, I, I made some notes as I walked through um, a couple things. So uh, they had an art room, not real large, but um, yeah. So it was it was interesting. They had a painting of Stan Musial signing an autograph. He was standing in the dugout signing an autograph for a kid, and he was signing it right-handed. And when I was looking at it, I thought, well, wait a minute. Ted Williams is left-handed. This is wrong. And Christy was reading the plaque, and I was telling her, Christy was reading the plaque and saying, no, the painter thought he got it wrong until he realized that Stan Musial actually wrote right-handed. So he threw left-handed, hit left-handed, and, and wrote right-handed. So th- I thought that was, wow. yeah, that thought that was kind of interesting. And and it's funny, Stan Musial had 3,630 hits or something, and he had 1815 yes. on the road and 1815 at home. So he's a balanced Absolutely. person, and... Uh, so maybe that's why he wrote right-handed, just to balance everything out. But that, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so Gary Reedus hit four sixty two in, in a minor league season one year. It's the highest single-season average in the minors. That's pretty impressive. Can you do that? I don't know. Yeah, so that was, that was pretty impressive. Um, Edgar Martinez, his bat seemed really small, and I looked it up. So he used a 31-ounce bat. I couldn't figure out the, the length of it. But it, it looked to be about a 31, 32 at tops. Yeah, inch bat. 
and uh, that guy could generate some power with a 31 ounce bat. I mean, that's that's pretty small. That's something. You, high you know what? The, the tough thing about Edgar Martinez is the fact that he played on the West Coast. I never really got to see him play all that many games. Yeah, other than the playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah. That guy, he yeah, that guy could hit anything. Um, I almost looked at him as like a poor man's pool hose. Like he was a dead red fastball hitter, and you couldn't. It's not many fastballs you're gonna throw by that guy. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, the other thing I thought was interesting was, um, and this goes to my push for Omar Vizquel, he's played more games at shortstop than anyone in the history of the game. That's Wow. Yeah. Omar Vizquel has some stats, and if you looked his stats up, there's no reason why he should not be in this Hall of Fame. Hopefully next year he'll make it and people will realize that. Um some uh, Something else that was interesting, Charles Chief Bender, he was a pitcher for the Philadelphia A's early – 20th century. So he went to the Carlisle Indian School. You familiar with that in Carlisle, Pennsylvania? I am not. I'm so, not. So it's actually it was it's an army base now, but they had a Indian school. Um it was a secondary and post-secondary education for Indians who wanted to go to college and, and get a formal education and they had sports and Jim Thorpe went there and played football for Pop Warner. About the same time, Chief Bender was there. So the school wow. probably had about 400 students and come away with three Hall of Famers. Um, that's that's pretty impressive, I thought. Yeah. Uh, and then the 2003 Marlins, you know, they, the team that beat the Yankees? You know yep. Yeah. They're, they had uh, uh, rings of all the World Series winners. That 2003 Marlins ring is obscenely large. Like, that's the best way I can explain it. It's obscenely large. Not just the diamonds, like how large it is. How it would sit on your finger. So, yeah, good for them. Um, And then the other thing, you know, when I was going through the hall and then looking at the plaques, you look at, they have them grouped in decades, right? Um, So I counted them up. There's 17 players and managers that from the athletic Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Oakland Athletic Organization in the Hall of Fame. And when I thought about it, I think, that seems like a lot. I know they had good teams, but they had really bad teams, right? I mean, Kansas City never had a winning record. Oakland went through some really tough times. And according to the Baseball Almanac, Yankees have 27 players and or managers. Giants have 20, and the Cardinals have 18. And when I counted the 17 players, I only counted the guys who – had significant time with the A's. Sure. Right? I, like, I didn't count Frank Thomas, who played with the A's at the end. But the the athletics have been around for a really long time. Uh, who are, they're right up against the Cardinals and the Giants. And I thought that was, I thought that was interesting, right? Uh, I'm surprised by those numbers. I'm surprised that the Dodgers – don't um aren't, aren't close to that or you know or even beyond the cardinals and the uh, giants yeah and i i think that you know you look at those dodger teams in the 70s um other than sutton i'm not sure who else would be a hall of famer i guess garvey's on the fringe i don't think he is but i'm sure some people think he is no. right yeah. yeah i don't they did i think piazza's the last dodger to get in yeah i think you're right yeah and he probably played just as many years with another team as he did with the Dodgers. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, it, it probably the most uh, non-consistent organization throughout 100 years where they've had awesome teams and then teams that lost 105 games consecutively, you know, in seasons. And they've probably been more consistent over the last 20 years and haven't made a World Series since La Russa left. So I don't, I don't know what's the best strategy. Um, another thing that stuck out is this whole, uh, Branch Rickey. So I spent some time reading about Branch Rickey. Um, you know, he started with the Browns and then went to the Cardinals as a general manager and then eventually with the Dodgers and then ended up with the Pirates. And I looked at his, his record with the Pirates and they never had a uh, winning record when he was there. Maybe he's just breaking down and, um, but it's, it's pretty impressive. Eight National League pennants, four World Series, both with the Cod. The Cardinals and the Dodgers, 
his, his World Series wins were all with the Cardinals. But then I looked at Pat Gillick. And Pat Gillick, uh, general manager of four teams, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the Mariners, and the Phillies, won a division title with all those teams, won three World Series in 78 to 94 with the Blue Jays, five division titles in two World Series. Now, they started at 77. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty impressive. 2000, 2003 with the Mariners, never won less than 91 games in those four years. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had a really good run. And then I looked at Sherholtz, who was with Kansas City and Atlanta. Of course, he has that Kansas City 85 title, which is disputed by some people. Um, but Sherholtz ended up with 16 division titles, six pennants, and two World Series. That's that's a pretty impressive record. And all three of those guys, of course, Ricky probably gets the gets the nod if you were going to rank them just because of the Jackie Robinson signing. Um, sure. But, yeah, all three general managers, it just knock it out of the park, to, if I could use that pun. Uh, no, I, I like I, I like that, and, and and I think you're right uh, in your analysis of Branch Rickey because I think he's also uh, credited with 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 helping to start you know the farm systems, um, which ironically you know in baseball 2020 to 2021 might be shrinking. Right. Well, has been shrinking, I guess, minor leagues. Yeah, yeah, and you, yeah, you're right. He he started you know what we call the the farm systems now, and really all three of them very innovative. Um, when you look at, and I'm not going to go through it, but if you've got a chance to look at Gillick's draft picks, I mean, it's, he, he's more than 50-50 of major league players, so which I think is pretty high. When you, when you get 50% yeah, of it your, yeah, that, that ended up being in the major leagues is, is pretty impressive. And then lastly, the, the thing that stuck out with me was John McGraw. You know, John McGraw was the manager of the New York Giants uh, early 20th century. You know I'm talking about? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ended up with 2,763 wins as a manager, 10 National League pennants, three World Series. Though in 1904, he refused to play the World Series. Because Why? He, it, it was the early on with the American National League playing a World Series where they were totally separate, kind of like the NFL and the AFL. Um, and he refused to play them because he, he, he didn't think they were real. He didn't think they had any credibility and it was was actually the Red Sox they weren't the Red Sox at the time but it was the Red Sox organization yeah he stuck with it he refused to play him so he might have won four four World Series (laughs) Um, but what I thought was interesting was John McGraw's I guess lineage or the lineage from John McGraw so Casey Stengel played for McGraw for the with the Giants Um, I think he actually played with him when he managed the Orioles too Stengel became a manager, won 10 American League pennants and seven World Series with the Yankees. Billy Martin played for Stengel. He became a manager. He won six division titles, two American League pennants and a World Series. And he won those six division titles with four different teams. So Minnesota, Detroit, New York, and Oakland. Lou Pinella plays for Billy Martin. Pinella becomes a manager, six division titles, one National League pennant, one World Series. Won six division titles with three teams, Cincinnati, Seattle, and Chicago Cubs. I didn't take it any further, but I think you could probably argue that Don Mangley played for Pinella for two years. He becomes a manager. He's won some division titles as well. So when you look at that train of people, of managers coming from John McGraw, it's pretty impressive where McGraw is still kind of uh, – his style is still in play a little bit. And McGraw was a guy who was hard on people. His philosophy was you don't have them for that long. Just get the most out of them. Don't worry about, like, relationship type stuff. And if you look at those managers that came after him, that's mm, kind of how they right. managed. Yeah, good point. Right? <clears throat> Up until yeah. Manningly, which is more of a player's manager. But Stengel, Martin, and Pinella, you, you, you're not going to get a lot of players who said they enjoyed playing for him other than they, they won games. So, again, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, how McGraw, who retired in like the 30s, and his his philosophy is still in play up until at least Lou Pinella. So that's a long time where he, that guy affected baseball. Yeah, 
Yeah, wow, how things have changed, right, in terms yeah. of the manager role. Yeah. So, yeah, th there were some things that stuck out with me. I, again, this is something that I think, you know, like we talked about, you could see multiple times and still miss stuff. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was really cool. I thought it was a really cool experience, and I'm looking forward to coming back, um, you know, sometime soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do that. Okay, so, so here's my recommendation is try and get to Omegang, which is only 10 minutes outside of town, um, nice, nice brewery, and, and have a glass of their beer called Three Philosophers. Yeah, I've heard you mention that before. All right, Three Philosophers. Yeah, just make just Three Philosophers. Uh, just make sure that uh, you, have, um, you have your wife driving you back, that's all. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll mention all right. it. <laughs> All right, what hey, else? Let's head, into some, let's head into some baseball news. Yeah. Uh, all right, what, what are your thoughts on the NL playoffs? All right, so as we're recording this today, um, heading into the uh, National League Championship Series, we have really, I, I guess, the, the two top teams, the Dodgers and, and the Braves. And I, and I guess what stands out to me most is how the Braves are doing this. Yeah. Um, and they're pitching. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's amazing. I mean, the Dodgers haven't lost the game, which not really is a surprise. But I, I guess I'm surprised by by the Braves, and they set the tone in game one um, against the Reds when they went, was it 15 innings, 16 innings, without giving up a run? Yeah. And they continued that pitching all through uh, the division series. Yeah, that, that was a surprise to me as well. And I, I didn't think the Marlins were going to beat them, but I thought they could steal a game because I thought the Marlins were pitching well, and they, they did pitch well. They they pitched really well, um, except for uh, the last game where Sixto got beat up a little bit. But yeah, I mean their their pitching is really coming around. If Kyle Wright can pitch the way he did uh, Game Three, uh, they're they're going to be some problems with the Dodgers. Yeah, Dodgers are going to have some problems with that. You think so? If if those three pitchers can pitch well, and they you know if a team is hanging around, you always give yourself a shot to win. If they can hang around so, so to the this, end. This championship series, that's a seven, it's seven games, right? Yeah. Okay. It's, so what, what, are you, what are you predicting here? I guess, I guess originally you predicted the Dodgers. Are you still on the Dodger train? Yeah, I, I am. Yeah, I, I am. Okay. And, it, it's, and I think they're playing seven straight days. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love. I love this. Like if, if baseball would go to this, I I love it. I love this mm -hmm. every day. I I, I already agree with you. Yeah. Let's let's take a little, real quick look into the American League. Um, that championship series um, is the Tampa Bay Rays and and the Astros. Um, what surprises you there? Well, according to Carlos Correa, it is the two best teams in the American League. <laughs> okay. Um. I, I Houston's on a little run here, and and the fact that they closed out the the A's, um, well, they close them out in four games, right? They won two, lost yes. lost game three and won game four. Yeah. I, I thought it was yeah. pretty impressive. I, I felt like if the A's got to game five, they had it, you know, maybe I would I would have shaded toward them. Uh, I think the Astros, you got to deal with them because they, they, they got some pop in their bat and uh, their pitching is good enough. Uh, I, I'm really, unfortunately, I'm really looking forward to watching this series. I don't, I don't like the American League, but I am looking forward to watching this. Of course, a lot of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays are former National League players, so maybe that's why I'm looking forward to it. Sure, sure. I get, I get that. Well, interestingly enough, um, when we look at um, the picks by Bush Leaguers, I'm looking at Sam's pick here um, that he had texted me. He just He just went right to the World Series with his picks, but he says uh, Dodgers um, beat – uh, beat the Astros four games to two, so oh, that's still he's in right on. Him. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I had you know I I pretty much bunged the the, the the first round, but you know I had the Dodgers beating uh, the Rays uh, in in the World Series, which is which is still in play. Um, you actually have the Dodgers getting all the way to the World Series, correct? And who'd you have them losing to? Yeah, I had them losing to the Indians. <laughs> so, Indians. Okay. Yeah, but they can lose to somebody. That's yeah. what I'm hoping. Yeah, um, Casey, um, he has uh, he has both the uh, Dodgers and, and the Braves 
still in this thing. And I, I want to say that he, he actually picked the, the Braves to win the World Series. He did. So he went out on, on, on a little yeah. bit of a, a maybe not much of um, a branch there. But uh, he has, I think it's the, let's see, I'm looking at it now. Uh, he had the Braves and Yankees. He Yankees. had the Braves and yeah. six. Uh, Bill picked, uh, he, got the, he got the first four in the National League, uh, the Wild Card Series. He picked Dodgers. Braves, Padres, and um, Marlins. So he got all four. Okay. And, you know, he was perfect in the second round because he had the, the Dodgers and, and Braves moving on. And he's picked the Dodgers all the way through. So his picks look really good. And let's see, Josh still has the Dodgers, uh, Dodgers left. He just picked the first round. And I want to apologize to Tom because he sent me his, his picks. He texted them to me, and I lost the text. So, Tom, I don't know <laughs> what guy, happened there. The guy texts you once every six months and you lost it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I was just so surprised that I got a text from Tom that I got excited and deleted it. Panicked and happened. deleted it. So, real quick, do you, who, do you, who do you like in Tampa, Houston? I'm sticking with Tampa. Okay. Um, I, you know, I had, I had them go into uh, the World Series, so I'm sticking with that. I, I just I, I don't know how Dusty Baker is is, is getting um, what he's getting out of that pitching staff. It, it, yeah. It's still you know you know maybe I'm not familiar with the, the Famber Valdez of, of the world um, or Christian Javier, um, but I, I, I just think their pitching has taken them pretty far. I mean, obviously they're mashing the ball right now, um, and they're doing it in Dodger Stadium of all places. So um, that remains to be, you know, is the, is this next round? Is that in Dodger Stadium or is that going to be at Petco Park in San Diego? Well, I know they're not for the American pl- League. Uh, okay, for the American League, I do not know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, it's I one know. of the two. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of about Astros pitchers, um, did, did you see? Um, I think it was in Game Four where Granky did the uh, the old, uh, you know, here's what's coming. And, and held up, you know, um, two fingers, and Ramon Laureano. <laughs> I think he hit it to Santa Monica. <laughs> no, I didn't see it. Was it one of those looping okay. curveballs, or was it a sharp curveball? Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't very sharp. It, it, it looked like a wiffle ball pitch. Okay. <laughs> it looked like somebody was. Looked like somebody when they tried to be cute to you and tell you what was coming, and, and you'd blast one over the roof. <laughs> Well, good for Loriano because he's the one that got suspended for getting hit or, you know, almost yeah. getting hit yeah, with those curveballs. So uh, I, I think Grinky, that was his way of, you know, trying to show some humor in that. I don't know if mm. I would have appreciated that as a manager when you're in a game four of a playoff game. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have said something to him. But, yeah, he, but we've talked about him before. He's He kind of goes to the beat of his own drum there. Yeah, he's uh, he, he he he's not my cup of tea. Let's put it that way. <laughs> hey, hey, wh- wh- one of the things that I noticed when we, we got into this round of eight, which is you know called the uh, I guess the league division series, one of the things that went through my mind is, as I was watching different games, was just how many ex Cardinals. And when I talk about ex Cardinals, I'm t- I'm talking about players that um, grew up in, in in their organization. Would you like to hear them? Because you you could almost. Uh, actually have a lineup of, of players. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so at first uh, base would have been Luke Voigt. Second base, Greg Garcia. Shortstop um, was uh, Aledmus Diaz. I didn't find anybody at third base, um, but I made up for that in the outfield. Um, Tommy Pham, Randy Arozarena, uh, Stephen Piscotti, and you could, have, um, you could also throw in uh, Magnaris Sierra. Um, the other person that did not come up in their organization but won a, uh, a home run title was Marcelo Zuna. And then yeah. in terms of pitchers, uh, Sandy Alcantara, um, Trevor Rosenthal, uh, Adam Adovino, and um, uh, podcast favorite Joe Kelly. <laughs> right. So a lot of those <laughs> – a lot of players out of the Cardinals organization. And, 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 you know, I don't know how to feel about that. What, what's your take? Well, I, I did the same with the Phillies. All right, so I'm, I'm going to okay. list – it's not as lengthy. So we have Jorge Alfaro, Travis Arnone, uh, Sixto Sanchez, J.A. Happ, and Jake Diekman. So at, okay. the, at the time, you know, before this was, you know, this 
the you know Marlins and and Yankees and Oakland got eliminated, they were the five draftees. They the Phillies drafted them or signed them. Mm-hmm. And what I think it shows is organizational effectiveness. So when you list all those Cardinals that were were former Cardinals that are still on somebody's team in the playoffs, so good good teams. I mean, you traded them for a reason. Number one, probably to for whatever reason, add depth. You needed pitching instead of outfield, whatever. But look at all the former Cardinals that are in the playoffs. Plus, you had guys that you drafted that were in the playoffs that were still on the Cardinal team, and the Phillies. Yeah. yeah and and that that's what I mean about organizational effectiveness. I, I think it shows the effectiveness of the organizations when you when you line something up like this. And obviously, the Cardinals are much more. Um, successful as an organization than the Phillies are. And I think that's what it shows. I, so, I mean, some of those guys the Cardinals gave up on, right? Ottavino, Rosenthal you guys gave up on because he wasn't performing. Well, he got he got hurt. Um, yeah. And after he got hurt, um, they, they got rid of him. And, you know, some of this plays into baseball rules, right? Because you have a 40-man roster. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you, 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 you can't keep players. They, to try and avoid, you know, for the players' sake, it, it helps them. You can't stockpile all those players and keep them buried in your minor leagues. So, you know, a lot of them you have to, you have to deal if you see better talent coming up. And yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know if the Cardinals succeeded there. Um, that's still a work in progress. Yeah, I, I, and you've mentioned before that some of this uh, maybe wouldn't have happened if Oscar Tavares wouldn't have passed away. I think that was their that that was um, what set a lot of these moves in, into motion. Um, had Oscar Tavares, I mean, he was supposed to be, you know, their their next big thing, and certainly the arc of his career was projecting um, in that manner. And um, had he had he still been alive today, then um, I, I think a lot of these moves probably wouldn't have have, have really mattered or been made. You know, and. Say the same thing about probably about Jose Fernandez, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's probably true. I, although I, I think once they're, once the ownership transferred, I'm not sure he would have stayed either. But yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gotcha. put the Marlins back in the '70s, and it, that's a hell of a team. Yeah, because they they drafted well there for about a five six year stretch. But yeah, yeah with in today's market. Yeah, I'm not sure if that would have, if that would have been the same, just because they signed what's his name to 300 million dollars for some god awful reason. So, so, but yeah, I, so I think, hey, good. Go ahead. No, you you finish. What when I think you line them up, uh, with these draft picks that are no longer in the organization, I, I, that's what I think it shows. I, that's what stuck out okay. to me was that the Cardinals are doing a good job drafting players because. Yeah, because they're still in the big leagues. Yep. Well, maybe it's good for Major League Baseball, not so good for the Cardinals, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Like you said, we'll, so, we'll see. Yeah, so, so some sad news. Um, in you know, the two weeks since we had our last podcast, um, we actually had two Hall of Fame pitchers pass away, um, Bob Gibson and, and, and Whitey Ford. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'd like to start with, uh, talk a little bit about Bob Gibson, who, you know, like Lou Brock, um, career cardinal, um, one of, well, Lou Brock wasn't, but Bob Gibson was one of my all-time favorite um, players. Um, I remember reading his book growing up. Um, just some quick stats about Bob Gibson. Sure. You know, 251 yeah. wins, uh, 2.91 career ERA. He had over 3,000 strikeouts and, and was only the second second pitcher to to get uh, over 3,000 strikeouts at, at that time. Um, you know, one of the, the new metrics, if you will, is home runs per, per nine innings. His was 0.6. So, you know, basically every three games, wow. um, if he pitched complete games, um, he'd give up two home runs, which is unbelievable. And, and speaking of complete games, <laughs> he had 255 complete games. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't think there's 255 in a year in Major League Baseball. Now. Oh, my gosh, no. Um, he was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was a nine-time All-Star, two Cy Youngs. Um, and one of those Cy Youngs was also an MVP year. I believe that was 68 when he had his 
um, 1.12 ERA. And, um, you know, this guy just came up big. He played in three World Series, um, and he started nine games, you know, three games in each of the three World Series yeah. and was 7-2 yeah. and two all time in World Series. Um, eight complete games, eight of the nine that he pitched in were complete games. And in 68, I believe, he had 17 strikeouts in one of the World Series games. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Did, did you know, here, here's a fun fact with, with Bob Gibson. He actually played one season with the Harlem Globetrotters. Did you know that? I I forgot about that. I, I knew it until, and I, I if you would mention Bob Gibson, I wouldn't think of the Globetrotters. But when I read your note, yeah, I, I did remember that. I'm not sure what year he played, though. It was the late 50s. I want to say okay. 57, 58, something like that. Because he went to, um, I think he actually played basketball at Creighton University he did. in, in yeah. Omaha. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and lastly, just a real quick um, personal story. Um, because, as you know, um, when I was young, um, I grew up in, in, in St. Louis. I was there for, for four years. My dad had, had, had worked out there, and that's how I became a Cardinals fan. You know, first game I ever went to was at uh, Bush 2. Um, an opening night there. Um, but um, my, my dad, um, the way he went to St. Louis was that he was friends. Um, he had a friend from the Philippines that was a doctor in St. Louis, and that's how he moved out there. He said, hey, come on out here. There's a job here, that type of thing. So um, our family moved out to St. Louis, and um, they were both anesthesiologists. And this is a, a story related by my friend who, who, who lives out there today. She, she lives there. Um, was saying that her dad um, um, had the, I guess, was scheduled to to do um, anesthesia on Bob Gibson, but said he couldn't because he was too nervous. Because <laughs> Bob Gibson, Bob Gibson was his was his uh, was his hero, so he he passed it along to somebody else. <laughs> That's a funny story. Oh my gosh, yeah. I I guess when you read that and you're looking at the chart, you're like, wait a minute, this is. Do you think this is? Is this Bob Gibson? Bob Gibson, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, oh my gosh, that that's funny, dude. I, I don't know. What, hey, you you also had a story about Bob Gibson, didn't you? So yeah, when he passed away, I was watching um, the MLB channel and they had Bob Costas on, and he he I didn't know this, but he told a story of Bob Gibson's last start, his last game in the big leagues. Um, I guess Red Shandies was trying to leave him in. He didn't want to take him out in the middle of the inning. Um, they were playing the Cubs. And Pete LeCock, I think he had a home run. It might have been a grand slam off of Gibson that put the game way out. Of, it was getting bad. Shandies had to go out and get him. So that was Bob Gibson's last pitch in the big leagues was a home run off of a journeyman role player, right? <laughs> okay. So – um, fast forward 10 years or so, Gibson is in an old-timers game against the Cubs. Pete LeCock is playing for the Cubs in the old-timers game. LeCock comes up to bat against Gibson, and Gibson hits him. <laughs> <laughs> he hit him with a pitch. And he, someone asked Gibson about it, and he said, you know, hey, you know, it, I, I'm paraphrasing, but – I had to make it right or something like that. And <laughs> it's almost funny that he was probably didn't think of that. I don't know if he thought about it often that his last pitch was a homer off a, you know, he gave up a homer to a journeyman role player, but I'm sure something sparked in his head when he saw the lineup card and thought, all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Pete. <laughs> hey, so let me ask you something, Raj. What do you think if Bob Gibson were pitching uh, against the Astros and they were trying to steal signs? What do you think he would do today? Every last one of them would have been hit. <laughs> <laughs> if it took him ten years, every last one of those guys would have been hit. If he hit Pete Lecoq for <laughs> in, a, in an old timers game, <laughs> in an old timers game, every last one of those guys would have been hit. Every last one of them. Whether it, 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 I don't even know if he he wouldn't even care if they were on the team at the time. <laughs> yeah. Every last one of them would have been hitting good for him. Yeah. So I, I, that's a, that's a, yeah, they're both good stories. Yeah. Last real quick story. Um, I, I know Bob Gibson still had a, a fair bit of influence um, on the Cardinals today. You know, Cardinals do a really good job at bringing back 
um, a lot of their um, all-star Hall of Famers, that type of thing, into the clubhouse. So people get uh, involved in that culture. And one of the person that Bob Gibson had a um, huge influence on and still does is uh, um, Jack Flaherty. Yeah. Um, if you see any Jack Flaherty's tweets and stuff like that, um, big Bob Gibson fan and kind of pitches uh, a little bit like him. I mean, he has a long way to go before he becomes Bob Gibson-esque, but uh, still has some uh, influence there. Yeah, there, there um, might, we had another guy pass away as well. This yeah, day, yeah. Right? Unfortunately, you want to take that? No, you got it. Yeah, good. All right. Yeah, Whitey Ford, um, legendary Yankees pitcher. Um, like Bob Gibson, pitched all 16 years with with the Yankees. Um, he was a 10-time All Star and a six-time World Series champ. Um, you know that was back in the uh, Yankees heyday in the in, in the 50s and and, and 60s. Um, he, he also won a Cy Young Award and was a World Series Most Valuable Player. Um, let's see here. Uh, he led the American League in wins three times and earned run average twice. And here's something that was surprising, and I guess I shouldn't be, but he owns the Yankees franchise career wins record at 236, 45 shutouts, and uh, innings pitched 3,170. Does, does that surprise you? Um, after reading it, No. Uh, uh, because up until 1975, they developed players, and after 75, they bought players. So, yeah, no, it okay. doesn't surprise me. Yeah, although Pettit is a guy they developed, and, and you have him in your note here. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, he was, I guess, his, his good friend, and, and some of the stories are legendary between uh, him and Mickey Mantle. Yeah, yeah. If you... I, I, Billy Martin has a book out, and I've read it a couple times. And it, him and Whitey Ford and Mickey Mantle are, are all through the book, and it's, yeah, it, it, it it's a great read, yeah. So that's you know what, what we'll do, Roger, if you're okay with this, um, when we have our uh, year end December um, podcast, we'll we'll take a look back at. Um, I think we've had four or five um, actual Hall of Famers that have. Uh, passed away this year, so we'll, we'll we'll touch upon that in future podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think it would be a, a good tribute. Yeah, and I, I think Kim Batiste just passed away too, his former Philly. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and his yeah. So yeah, that yeah, that, we that give shout outs to a lot of those players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Okay. Today in baseball history. So what is this? Eleventh uh, of October in 1911, Ty Cobb and Frank Schult of the Cubs received the first ever MVP award for the respective leagues. I didn't know it was that old, 1911. Uh, I didn't know it either. At the, at the time, the award is called the Schalmers Award, <laughs> named after Schalmers Automotive, <laughs> a Detroit-based automotive company. So, Wow, uh, I guess that went the way of the Edsel, didn't it? <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah, I don't know anybody that had a Schalmer. <laughs> Do you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, not even a high school no. kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I didn't realize it was that old. And then in uh, 1976, Davey Johnson uh, is playing in the Japanese league. He's in the on-deck circle when Sadahata O hits his 715th homer, which is pretty significant, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he never passed Tank Aaron, but, you know, he did pass Babe Ruth, I guess, how you look at it. He hit 715 home runs anywhere. It's a lot. Uh, but interesting – Davey Johnson was on the on in the on deck circle when Hank Aaron hit his 715th homer. So that's pretty good. Really, pretty good seats for wow. for both of their 715th. That's that's a, that's pretty ironic that he was on on both of them. Yeah, uh, you know what? I, I think Davey Johnson. I mean, he had a fairly long career, right? He played from 65 to to 78, and he actually in in 1973 he actually hit. 43 homers, which um, was pretty surprising. By yeah. 75, he was, uh, oh, no, he, I guess he played until 78. So he had a nice little run, and then he, he had a pretty good run as a manager too, right? He did, and if you look at his stats with his division titles with different teams, I, I think he's probably on the fence as a Hall of Famer. I mean, he, he had this run with the Mets. Uh, he had the run with the, with the Orioles where he won a division title. I think he won a division title with the Reds or at least made the playoffs. And now he won a division title with the Expos, or not the Expos, the Nationals. So yeah, he he had a pretty good run as well, of, of, of managing success. 
And then 1981, this date, 1981, the Expos win their first and only National League East Division title when Steve Rogers beat Steve Carlton 3 nothing in deciding game three of that um, mini playoff series. That was a strike year. Uh, of course, the Expos eventually were disappointed on Blue Monday when losing to the Dodgers in game five of the NLCS. Um, Rick Monday hits the homer. I remember watching that as a kid uh, coming home from school and – I don't know if I was disappointed. I don't know if I hated the Expos or the Dodgers more at that time. I, I, I can't remember, but I know I was disappointed either way. The Phillies lost. Do you, do you remember the Expos winning their only title? Um, I, 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 I do. And wait, this is 80, 81. Yeah. Um, that, that was a split season, right? When they yeah, had. Right. Um, it was the strike year. First half, second half because of the strike. Is that yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. And okay. I actually think the Cardinals won more games than anyone in the NL East. They did. Yeah. They did. The, yeah. the Cardinals got the disenfranchised um, that year because they had the best overall record but did not make the playoffs because um, of, of that split season. Yeah, you know what? The Expos ran into some, some tough luck, right? And in 1994, they had yep. the, the, the Major League's best record, and then they hit the strike there. and. You know, some people would say that was the year that could have saved baseball in, in Montreal. I mean, it, it hung around another seven or eight years, but wasn't the same. But if you have a chance, I, I want to say that um, in this offseason, um, MLB has a documentary uh, on the Expos. And, you know, they're, they're short, what were they, from 68 to 2006, 30-some-year run. But just how that 94 season really cost them, it's worth a watch if you have a chance. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of it, and uh, it is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, they were 74 and 40. They were, yeah, they had a pretty good, pretty good lead over the Braves at that time. Is that uh, a good record? <laughs> that's pretty good. In fact, uh, I mean, th there's a couple things in '94. One is the Expos. Uh, Matt Williams was having a hell of a year hitting home runs, and Tony Gwynn was hitting 394 when when the strike started. So, um, yeah, it, it, there was a couple things in 94 that, that kind of sc screwed some people up. Um, yeah. So. Hey, just, just, just a little side note. Um, there is a, a brewery in San Diego, Al Smith, and they actually have inside the brewery, they actually have a Tony Gwynn museum and they've named the beer. It's called uh, 394 Pal Ale. After, after Tony Quinn. In fact, I think you've had that before. I, I have. Some for you. Yes, it was uh, very good. It's a good beer. Yes. Yeah. I guess anything at 394 is good, right? <laughs> it's good. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, so what are you walking off with? Yeah, so the last walk-off section here, um, I'm just fielding some, some text that, that I received. Um, surprisingly, Tom has hit his limit in terms of text because he texted me a second time. The first one I lost was his prediction. Uh, the second one, he texted me, and I'm going to read this. He said, I just listened to the Memorial Day podcast. Now, of course, we had that, you know, back in back in May, and he's listening to it, what, four and a half months later. But, you know, good for him. Um, I'm sure Michelle had to help him. But he says, ironically, Michelle and I, who never watched the Stooges, watched the plumbing episode. Um, however, it was Curly, not Shemp. <laughs> Um, and, and he said, ironically, uh, Michelle also watches The Places Right, and which I got to tell you, um, since they haven't had new episodes, like it really matters, I haven't watched The Places Right um, in a while. Um, Bill texted me, and he said, hey, great season-ending podcast. Uh, listen to all 34 of them. Congrats against the squirrel. Wish we could have a season-ending uh, celebration. And just want to say, hey, Bill, thanks. For, for for listening to to all 34. Um, I be, besides you and me, Rod, I'm not sure if anybody else has listened to all 34. I'm sure people. I, actually, Casey probably has, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, he, he'll listen to them in bunches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's yeah, that's the way to do it, and that's you know, that's why we need to kind of timestamp our so people know that uh, when we're talking about this. But Casey also sent me a text, and it, it, it was uh, he forwarded it on a tweet. And the tweet reads, um, this was prior to Game 5 of the American League Championship Series between, oh, excuse me, Divisional Series between the Yankees and and the Rays. And it said, uh, Garrett Cole versus Tyler Lasnow in an Eliminator postseason game, just like the Pirates drew it up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and 
yeah. wasn't it funny later that night um, after he had sent that that Austin Meadows hit a home run in that game? That was nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to go, oh, Buckeyes. Yeah. Good boy. Uh, you know, the that Pirates code, those who fall behind are left behind. Yeah, they've been <laughs> left behind for a while. Oh my yeah. gosh. And l- last thing that I have here is uh, happy birthday to Stan Moyer um, on Tuesday. I believe the 13th is Stan's birthday. Um, former Bush League owner and um, my namesake this season, Stan's Attic, which I will never use again. I think I'll retire that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, our good buddy Stan, uh, 54 this year, I believe. Um, yes. So uh, what I'm walking out with is uh, a, a pitch to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame that they should have a wing of players who might not have had the stats to be a Hall of Famer, but have certainly contributed to the game. Uh, one would – I'm talking about guys like Julio Franco. Julio Franco played, I don't know, 20-plus years uh, – late into his 40s on a National League team, that guy should have some sort of recognition in the Hall of Fame. Um, Jamie Moore, who pitched late into his 40s. Uh, granted, uh, he's not a Hall of Fame pitcher. I'm not arguing that. But he, he needs to have some sort of recognition in the Hall of Fame. Um, guys like Minnie Minosa probably should be in the Hall of Fame. Do you understand what I'm talking about? A wing for these type of players. Uh, players that we all know, we all rooted for, um, that when you look back and think, there's people that can't cut their grass at 48, and Julio Franco yeah. is put, making a National League roster. With, you know, a National League roster, I mean, without a DH. And that's, I just think that's impressive. Uh, if Jamie Moore got a shot to pitch with the Colorado Rockies at 49. I mean, he wasn't successful, but someone said, you know what, let's give him a shot. I can't, you can't, can't walk a mile. At forty nine, and this, so that that's what I think baseball need. I think they should do that. I think they yeah, should you look know, at Julio Franco like was like, like you said, he was he was still a phenomenon. And there's a story out there, a quote from from um, Julio Franco. You know, because people were saying, "How are you playing into your 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 forties?" And this was during the steroid era. Is that right? He played yeah. into that. Yeah, sure. He played yeah. in a lot of eras. And, <laughs> Yeah, and 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 his his quote was Jesus is my steroids. <laughs> right. So, right on, Julio. <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah. So th- th- that's what I think baseball should should look at. Uh, and I, I only named a three really off the top of my head. Um, if I spent some time thinking about it, I'm sure I could have at least a few dozen players that would that so, would hit that hit that mark. So, so here's what I would ask you, because, um, you know, we're, we're going to have a podcast in, in two more weeks, and then we go uh, monthly um, in November, December, and, and January. But maybe one of those three podcasts, um, you can come up with a list um, yeah. of players. And, and you know what? I would ask the rest of the Bush League uh, of, of people that you think um, that, in Roger's definition, that had made a significant contribution to the game but may not have the stats. Uh, to get into the Hall of Fame, um, send us your list. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, yeah, I, I will develop a list, and I, I think that would be important. And and uh, um, we all we all know players that have played a long time in this league, and it's not a jobs program. I mean, you you have to be able to perform at some level to make a major league roster. And um, yeah, th- th- those three guys, you know, d- definitely did. Um, yeah, all right, good. So w- we're off for uh, a couple weeks, and we'll. We'll be back um, with a November issue. Yes, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Hey, Chief, have a great time in Cooperstown. And remember, Oma Gang and Three Philosophers. Okay. Well, you know, because maybe we should name our show the Two Philosophers, but I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. Or or, or, or we could be looking for our third philosopher if anybody wants to apply for that. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Jeff. I'll talk to you later. All right. All right. Be good. Stay safe. (laughs) 